Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Vedette Redbird Report podcast. I am Josh Tolentino, Vedette Sports Editor, and today I'm joined by incoming sports editors Michael Mara and Nate Head. Uh, first off, congrats guys, looking forward to a great year next year. Yes, thank you. I'm excited to be uh, excited to be the next sports editor. It's an honor just knowing who's come through as you know past sports editors at the Vedette, and I just hope we can carry on the, the tradition that they have. Yeah, appreciate it, Josh. Uh, definitely looking forward to uh, teaming up with Mike and uh, building on the great sports department that we have here at the Vedette. There is a lot of Redbird news to talk about today. Baseball trying to finish off uh, or win a series, haven't won a series in a long time this weekend against Dayton. They're actually playing right now. And then we'll also be talking about their U of I matchup on Tuesday. Big, big one. Um, always the biggest game of the year when U of I comes to town. But first, we begin with Redbird Hoops. Ha- haven't been news in a while with the ISU men's basketball team. But but just yesterday, Zach Copeland, the California Community College Player of the Year, co-player of the year, he's six six foot four guard, known for his three-point shooting, sharpshooter, committed on Twitter to Illinois State. Um, actually saw him around campus and downtown Bloomington last night. He was having a good time. He made his commitment to the Redbirds. He was considered ISU's top recruit. That's got that's huge news for Dan Muller and the Redbirds, Mike. And that also takes care of their last scholarship that they had. For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> for now. And, uh, you know, he averaged 18.7 points last season, shooting 49.1% from the field. And as you said, Josh, a threat from three, 47.7 from beyond the arc. And so, I mean, just an absolute great hire to – or a great hire, great uh, addition to it, an already, you know, talented roster that you know you got so many assets now. I mean, and he just adds to it. Now, we, I mean, I know in the past podcast we've been talking about what starting lineups you can throw out there, and we really didn't have Copeland in any of them. Mm-hmm. And so now, when we talk about the starting lineups for next year, you have to think he's going to be starting next year. I mean, I mean I, someone on Twitter actually asked me, "Do you see Copeland in that starting lineup?" I didn't even respond, and someone from California said. California Player of the Year, dot, dot, dot. I think that says it all. Obviously, he's that he's not given that spot. As we all know, Dan Muller, all those spots are earned in practice. But he can be an immediate contributor, kind of like a Devon Akun Purcell type player looks like, but even a better shooter. You see he's nearly 50% from three. That's impressive, and I think even more impressive, 87% from the free throw line. I issued the worst free throw shooting team in the Valley this year. Definitely a spot they were gonna gonna need some improvement on, and who knows? Maybe he can share his tips here and there with the team. But that's that. I think this is a great addition for ISU men's basketball on every asset on the floor. I mean, uh, every aspect of the floor. I mean, defensively, offensively, free throw shooting, three point shooting. He just helps this team out tremendously, and you you gotta now you really have to look at this roster and break it down, and on paper. As of today, with him committing yesterday, they have to be the favorite. In, in, I know, in with no Wichita and then with Mikhail back, this is it's looking like a dangerous team. And just talking with coach, with different coaches on the staff and just really different fans, They Copeland was considered their top spring recruit. He was a two-star on um, verbal commits. You know, not really that high ranked out of college, but in JUCO, that's where he really exploded, was the California Player of the Year. I think that says it all there. And big credit to Luke Yaklich, associate head coach of Dan Muller. He's really been getting his hands on all these recruits that are coming in, it seems like. And, I mean, 
Copeland said, it was all basically because of Luke for, I mean, his reason and wanting to come here. And let's not forget to mention, he had future visits planned with Colorado, with the Nebraska, who has been taking some recruits from ISU. So to get Copeland to commit on his visit while he's still here, that was big. Yeah, that, and, and you've got to think that that's one of the things that they talked about before they had him on campus this weekend was well, before he leaves here on Sunday or whatever, whatever day he does leave, before he leaves normal, let's try and get that commitment out of him. And that is huge. I mean, to have that in person and, and just know that when they wake up before he leaves to go back home, that they have him locked up and secured. I mean, that's it's got to be a great feeling for the entire coaching staff. And now you're just looking at the new faces Illinois State sees next year. Can you imagine seeing Zach Copeland and Elijah Clarence on the floor at the same time next year? Mm-hmm. And Will Tinsley. I mean, local kid. You, the, those were the three for now, like what we said, um, pending like if anyone doesn't leave from the current roster, which you never know in nowadays with any college program. But for now, we have three. ISU has three guards coming in. I mean, versatile, different, different strengths, different weaknesses. But Copeland, he seems, I mean, he's, he looks like the real deal. Yeah, and now that's the other thing he's mentioned. As long as nobody leaves, you know, with these three guards coming in, you have to think that somebody, you know, on the roster might see themselves getting a little bit buried, maybe losing playing time, or maybe seeing no playing time, just because, I mean, with these three recruits coming in, I mean, they're talented, and you know those three are going to see the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's not a discredit to anybody that's on the roster right now. But yeah, definitely not a discredit to anyone on the roster. But you look at a guy like Andre Washington, uh, kind of should have redshirted this year. You look at him, barely got any playing time, played in garbage time. Kind of related to an Elvis Harvey type player two years ago when Elvis ended up transferring out of the program. You you wonder what's going on in Andre's mind, uh, playing behind Phil Fain, playing behind David. And then now you got all these guard recruits coming in. Where does he fit in? And then you never know because, as everyone knows, Dan Muller recruiting is a 24-7, 365 process. Even though, you know, all the scholarships are filled now, Dan, Dan, there's no doubt Dan is still talking to some people. Yeah, and that's just it. Is the recruiting doesn't end, as you mentioned. And it, it, you can't sit here and think that, you know, oh, they have three these three guys, among others, coming in. We're happy. They're not happy. I mean, they're never. You're never going to settle for where you're at. Once you start to settle, that's that's the end of it. And so the thing is, is I I, I do. I don't know who's going to transfer, but I, I do expect to see some faces leave in the next couple weeks. Just because when you sit there and you're on a roster and you know you haven't played much and you know you, you expect to all season long, you know you're going through practices and you think, okay, next year's my year. Next year's my year. Or, you, you know, know, there's only so many years. Right, there's only so many years. And then, you know, as your time's running out, and then they also add more talented recruits and just... It, it, and that's what happened with Nick Banyard last year. He had one year left remaining. He saw they brought in a guy like, you know, they had David playing, they had Phil. Um, where was he going to fit in on that roster behind Teddy, behind Mikhail? And he made a, he made a good decision. So it's not it's not terrible news if a player leaves. It's just what's best for their future and the future of the program. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it is a business, even though it is college sports. It's a business. You, you know, the players are trying to benefit, you know, help benefit themselves, and um, they just want to go make sure that what they're doing is, is they're going out to get playing time, get their name recognized, and just be able to play basketball at the highest level they possibly can for the best teams they can. And, you know, it, it's, it is sad to see some people leave because – 
when you when you dedicate so much time and effort to a program as some of these kids have, then you kind of see the discouragement when they do leave because whether they feel like they're just being buried on top of new guys being put on the roster or whatnot. You hate to see the discouragement, but like you said, Banyard, you know, when he left, he made a great decision. Ended up ended up playing through the year, starting at the end of the year for UCF, and you know, obviously they got that big win coming back here. But you know, he ended up getting getting to go to New York mm-hmm. and play in the semifinals in the NIT. And so it, it's not always a bad thing. It's not like it's once you leave Illinois State, you know, it's the end of your career. You still got basketball to be played wherever you may go. And but now it brings up the other interesting thing is. With the signing of Copeland, does Mikhail stay? Does he see this roster and think, all right, this is the team we got. We got a great team, and I could be the head of that guy, or I could be one of the one of the leaders of this team. Or does he say they have enough? I'm going to go expand my horizons. You definitely have to think what's going on in Mikhail's head. Obviously, they have these great assets coming in. I mean, key pieces staying, and I mean just the retainment of the roster. But <laughs> doesn't matter who comes in. Really, who who they bring in, a lot revolves around Mikhail. And he's been vocal on campus about wanting to stay, but you never know what is truly going on in his head throughout these next couple weeks when you know the bigger schools are really trying to fish pick here and there um, to fill their rosters and their needs. You never know what's going on in Mikhail's head. But like what you said, Copeland seems like a great asset coming in. I actually spoke to him yesterday uh, just via text, and he just sent another text right now. We'll get another phone interview done later. It seems like he loves ISU, and again, credit a, a ton of credit to Luke Yaklich and just the whole coaching staff for being able to secure him before he got on that plane to leave. I mean, just going right now with this current roster set, I know it's subject to change within the coming weeks, but where do you see this ISU team finishing with a Copeland coming in? Uh, you know, I know we talked on Friday, and I predicted them to finish one or two in the Valley right there with Missouri State and ended up winning Arch Madness. Right now, and obviously it's very early for, for basketball predictions, and again, we don't know. Never you know, too early for a prediction, <laughs> but let's shoot one out there. Um, so I, I, I think they finish first in the Valley in the regular season, and I think they go on and, and you know win that automatic bid with winning Arch Madness. When you just look at this roster and you see how well you know some of the guys did that are coming back for next season, how, how well they did last season, and you just look around the Valley and think – yeah, they they did have a down year, but how many of these teams are really going to come out and compete with this type of roster? And who, who's going to win 17 games and compete with Illinois State to be at the top? I don't know. And you know, Illinois State may drop a couple games here and there, but at the end of the day, I think they're going to win enough games to win themselves a regular season title and then obviously end that now 20-year drought to the NCAA tournament. And when you, when you look at that, you add a player of the year. Not just, I mean, not just a conference player of the year, but a state player of the year. They play some pretty good Juco ball out there in California. You have to consider that there's going to be growing pains from, obviously, the Juco level to the D1 level. But that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive, adding that player. But, I mean, as we turn our heads from basketball to baseball, two different programs, obviously Illinois State playing right now under Bo Durkak, still struggling here and there. They're trying to win a series today against Dayton, but the big showdown, the big, I think it seems like the most attended game at Buff, Duff, Duffy Bass uh, Field is the U of I game this Tuesday. Nate, what do you see coming into this game from U of I and ISU? 
Uh, definitely going to be a big one at Duffy Bass. Uh, like you said, it's uh, usually the most uh, most attended game of the season. Um, looking for the Redbirds to close out a series win uh, tonight and kind of bring in some momentum into Tuesday. Uh, but on Tuesday, I'm looking for the starting pitching. Um, a big problem for them has, you know, the starting pitchers have, you know, they struggled. They rotations. Well, they change rotations, and they're also struggling to throw deep into a game. Uh, the bullpen is getting, you know, very heavily worked. Um, it's unclear who he's going to throw out there on Tuesday, um, but typically during the week, Durkak likes to throw out one of his freshmen. Uh, so it'll definitely be interesting to, you know, see how they fare against the Fighting Illini. Mike, you're the softball beat reporter, but I know you've kept a close eye with baseball. I mean, what are you, just your views on this team? I mean, t- today against Dayton, that would be a huge win. They were dismantled, really, on Friday. Picked up a pretty big win yesterday. A win today, then Tuesday going forward. They're in the middle of a season-long home stretch. What would that do for them? Well, I mean, that's just it is it'd give them a lot of confidence. And the good thing is you're not leaving home anytime soon. You know, as of, I believe it was on Tuesday versus Valparaiso, it started a nine-game home stretch which was also thanks to Wednesday, last Wednesday's game against Northwestern being canceled. Otherwise, it would have just been an eight-game home stretch. But a nine-game home stretch, when you get to stay home and play in your home field, no travel, practice at Duffy Bass, play on Duffy Bass, and string a couple wins together, that's huge momentum. And in baseball, that's just a game of momentum. And you know, you know, the two of us know, all three of us know that, you know, one inning could be the difference between dropping a game and, and winning a game, and also, I mean, that just kind of tells the tale of how the series is going to go. And they've played well against Dayton. I should, I should I t- take Friday's game out yeah. of it. They played, they played well yesterday, a four-two win. And Mitch Vogren out of the bullpen. I mean, he's the guy that Bo really hands the ball to. It seems like every time out. And I know um, I actually had the opportunity to call the game on Tuesday. Pitched on Tuesday, came back. And threw again on Saturday, I believe he threw two innings. Yep, six-out save uh, yesterday. And Brady Huffman started the game for the Redbirds yesterday and threw the longest outing of the season for a Redbird starter. He threw seven innings, allowed just one earned run. Um, Durkak was, you know, really happy to get seven innings out of his starter after Friday where he had to go to his bullpen for, I believe, seven and two-thirds which is, uh, you know, a real killer. I think he had, you know, six six different guys coming out of the pen. Um, so, yeah, but Mitch Vogren, yeah, and he, he's definitely the go-to guy out of the bullpen. Um, just yesterday, like I said, Huffman went seven, and, and Vogren got the ball for the last two outs. Uh, it was pretty much lights out. You know, he, he had a runner or two, but, you know, there's really no uh, threat out there. You know, he, he really seems to overpower guys. Um, but, yeah, you know, the thing about the Redbirds is, you know, they're losing games, but, um, you know, with the exception of Friday, they're always close games. Um, in their first, you know, conference series against Dallas Baptist last weekend, you know, they lost all three games, but, um, you know, they were either tied or in the lead in all three games after the fifth or sixth inning. So, you know, they're, they're playing right there uh, with these teams. You know, Dallas Baptist is expected to win the conference. So it was encouraging to, you know, travel down to Dallas and, and, and play good ball. But, you know, they're just having trouble finishing games. Um, so it'll be definitely interesting to see how they fare on this homestand. Uh, they played their first, you know, 20 games on the road. So I, I know they're definitely, you know, excited to be playing here at Duffy Bass. And from what I can tell, the chemistry is, you know, still really solid uh, among the guys. 
you know, despite a, a tough start to the season. And it was great for them to pick up that first win yesterday. I mean, to st- like within the middle of this home stretch, obviously they, it would be great to pick up a ton more. Not looking so great right now. Just pulled up their Twitter feed. They're down 2-0 to Dayton. Um, very early, though. Still, I mean, just I think the third or second inning right now. So, I mean, I guess we'll see where they go from here. But as we said, huge game this Tuesday. Non-conference, obviously, against U of I. But it's always a big one. And usually the most attended, like what we said. Yeah, and then not to mention they play Illinois Wesley in the very next day, which it's kind of like the Crosstown rivalry yeah. here, you know, Bloomington versus Normal as, you know, obviously Illinois State's in Normal and Illinois Wesleyan's in Bloomington. And obviously, you know, there's a separation of, you know, divisions there, Division Three versus Division One. but Illinois Wesleyan's very respectable in all their athletics, you know, basketball, baseball, football, all their programs are very, very good and highly respected um, in the divi- at the Division Three level. So it, it's always, that's another highly attended game, and for whatever reason, it always seems to get rained out. I know last year it got rained out after three innings where Illinois Wesleyan was actually leading three to nothing in that one, which I'm sure if you're Illinois State, you're glad that one got canceled. But, you know, just going back to, you know, what we were talking about, how Bo really relies on this bullpen, you have to think now that that being that Northwestern game on Wednesday being canceled mm-hmm. was a godsend. Yes. Just because Valparaiso, they go 12 innings, mm-hmm. used the bullpen heavily in that one. Yep. And so you already know that you used arms on Tuesday, then you have a weekend series with Dayton, and you have two more midweek games next week along with another weekend series. So you, you just have to think that that game being canceled saved a couple arms. And obviously when you throw a guy out there for an inning or two, it's not – the end of the world, but at the end, coming down to the end of this home stretch, which you know it's a nine-game home stretch, you know you're gonna have some tired arms, and it's gonna be the middle of the season. And so I really do. I think that that Northwestern game being canceled is a godsend to this pitching staff and Bo. But yeah, definitely two exciting games coming up: uh, Illinois and Illinois Wesleyan. They should be fun ones, and I, I believe one of them's you know pack Duffy Bass or fill the uh, fill the Duff. Whatever that. Yeah, I think promotion. Tuesday is at Illinois or. Here against Illinois, uh, 6 p.m. start, which is later than usual uh, for a weekday game. So it'll be, you know, under the lights. Uh, should be, you know, really interesting. Uh, like I said, it'd be, you know, really nice for them to pick up a big win against a big team. In front of team. a good crowd, yeah, too. should be a good crowd uh, for sure. You know, this past weekend, just yesterday, there was a pretty good, um, you know, attendance, you know, with it being siblings weekend and, you know, a nice day. Um, so, yeah, if they can, you know, Maybe split against um, in, the, in these next three games, and then and then go into a another conference series with Evansville at home. I, I think they'll have a good shot. Let's remember, all these games will be broadcasted on 103.3 ZND. Um, I know Mike, you might be calling some games for ESPN three, but so you'll have a close look at this team, Nate. You two as well. Uh, let's get a prediction for Tuesday's Illinois game. I know the game tonight isn't even finished yet. <laughs> But let's. This is a big game, so let's let's throw something at it. Go ahead, okay, uh, you know, in the first matchup, uh, the Fighting Illini took it seven to one. Uh, this time, though, at home, I'll take the Birds and I'll take them uh, seven to five in a close one. Uh, I have to, I respect it, Nate, but the Big Ten Illini, I just I have not seen enough out of the out of the Redbirds this season so far to to put them atop. Illinois, especially after Illinois beat them seven to one, 
not a couple weeks ago. And so I, I just – and you never know who Bo's going to throw out there and you never know what team's going to show up. I'm sure the offense will be there, but I think I think Illinois is going to take this one. I'll probably I'll go a score of 5-3, to three, so it'll okay. be a little bit closer. All right. And then just very briefly, softball, like we always say, it's two different programs. I mean, they picked up some big wins yesterday against Loyola. Uh, what what do we have from them moving forward, Mike? Well, obviously they're atop the Missouri Valley right now. They have a, an overall record of 19 and 16 after this weekend. They came in at 500. Uh, their their co- Missouri Valley conference record is nine and three. They swept the weekend series against Loyola. They took two yesterday. They didn't just sweep them. They I mean fifteen to zero against Loyola. Yeah, that actually was today's game. They belted eight home runs, which is a new school record. Couple girls had two homers each, Allison Spence and Jordan Delos Reyes. And Delos Reyes has been an absolute monster for that team. I mean, at three hole for Illinois State, I mean, Melinda Fisher's gotta be happy. One through nine, that, that lineup really does know how to hit. And then you know, yesterday, game two of the doubleheader, we had an exciting one. Allie Domkuski took a no hitter into the seventh inning. It got broken up with one out left, so she was two outs away from the first no hitter in Illinois State history. Um, since February 27th of 2011, when I believe it was Taylor Baxter who threw, it was actually a perfect game. That was the wow. last time a no hitter was thrown in softball history. But so it remains to be that date. But you know she had a great outing nonetheless, and then it ended up being one to nothing in the seventh inning when they were going in. She gave up the no hitter, and then they gave up a run, and so it was one to one going to the bottom of the seventh. They loaded the bases, and then Annie Heineman uh, singled home. The winning run, and that was it. She actually had two game-winning hits on the day. In game one, uh, Illinois State took a 3-0 lead in the first inning, and she had a two-run single that proved to be the difference as Loyola scored one run and made it 3-1, to and that was where the score stood. So Annie Heineman had a great day. Another good day here today for Heineman. And the softball team's just rolling. I mean, yesterday their pitching was solid. Both pitchers went the distance, Sarah Fink and Allie Domkowski. You know, both, te- or both girls only allowed one run on the day. And, you know, it really seems like everything is going in motion right now for them, and they, they really seem to be picking up momentum. And with the sweep this weekend, they secure a spot at least in the lead for uh, – or at least a tie for second place in the Valley. And then obviously Jeez. with all the games going on <laughs> – with all the games going on uh, elsewhere today with series wrapping up, they could find themselves in first place or in sole possession of second place. And so, I mean, they are solid – at the top of the Missouri Valley Conference. And, I mean, we're coming down the home stretch, you know, just a month left in the season, you know, a month from right now. They'll be preparing for the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, which actually Illinois State is hosting this year. And so, I mean, with a month left, with less than a month left to go, sitting in first place, I mean, they're in a good spot. And I know Melinda Fisher's excited about this group, excited about what she's seen this weekend. And, you know, it, it it's exciting. And, you know, they'll have a midweek matchup this week against DePaul that was supposed to be last Wednesday, got rained out, rescheduled, and so that's another just midweek game that, you know, doesn't count for conference standings, but, you know, keep a winning streak going and keep the bats rolling and see what they could do as they head to Drake this weekend. And Drake, you know, they started off really, really not so good. I believe they started off 0-6, and they were picked to win the Valley. And so anytime you have, you know, a team go 0-6 when you're predicted to win the Valley, you know, that's not the start, you know, the, the favorite wants. But it, Drake's a good team. Obviously, they were picked to finish first in the Valley for a reason, maybe just a slow start in the Valley. But, you know, so it's another big weekend series for Fisher's group coming up. But they have a week, or they have a midweek matchup versus DePaul first. 
And, you know, right now they got to be happy with a 9-3 and record in the Valley and knowing they'll be a top finishing this weekend. And this DePaul matchup, this midweek matchup that you speak about, it's actually their last non-conference game of the year before, like what you said, the home stretch before the MVC tournament hosted here at Illinois State. A huge advantage for Fisher's team. Going to be exciting to see how many wins they can pick up and see if they can get that top spot or that two spot heading into the tournament. Um, I believe that is March 11th to the 13th. Uh, but for now, we talked a lot of Redbird hoops, some baseball and softball. I'm sure we'll have another episode this week with ISU women's new ISU women's basketball coach Kristen Gillespie. Let's see if she makes some um, gets pulls in some recruits or makes some new hires for this coaching staff. See who she retains from the coaching staff. A uh, big topic has been about Kathy Boswell to see if she'll come back. Um, I think uh, that'll be a good move if they if they retain her. Obviously, Illinois State history there. Yeah, and that, that'd be a good thing to re- retain her. That, that's another interesting thing that intrigues me is, you know, I don't know if maybe she didn't want the head coaching job, but, you know, like you said, there's history there. You know, she's got her jersey number and, and her name hanging up in the rafters at Redbird Arena, so you, you wonder if she's ever had any interest in taking that coaching job. or You know, but if, if they retain her, there's obviously nothing wrong there. But I do know that, you know, when they did release Barb of her contract and get rid of Barb Smith, they said that the coaching staff was going to be um, retained up until mid-April. And I believe that's it, coming up. That's coming up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as of right now, there's, you know, I, I believe it was April 12th or something like that, that that their contracts ran through. So they got a couple days here left. And then, you know, it's really going to, you know, the, the coaching hires and all that, the interviews, they're really going to ramp up here, and that's going to be an interesting one. Outside of that, I, I don't see the other ones returning, mm-hmm. and that's just you, you know when you're a new coach coming in, you want your people you want, to establish mm-hmm. your system. And Kristen had a great whatever she was doing at Lewis, she offensive firepower, whatever sets they were running. So she needs what she needs to run with, you know. And the thing is, is you know, she she mentioned that when she was at Benedictine and when she was at Lewis, she had very strong coaching staffs, and she said she's going to do the same thing here. She's going to make sure she brings in the right people that she wants to work with. So, you know what, if she decides not to return any of these coaching staffs, you just have to trust the process and know that what she's doing is what she truly feels they need to do to right the ship and, We'll see how it goes. I, I think she'll do fine, and I think she'll make the right hires. It may be rough at first, and you never know what's going to happen with these recruits and the girls currently on the roster. But you know what? It, the ball's rolling, and it happened last Tuesday. The ball started rolling when they announced Kristen was going to be the next head coach. And uh, I think Redbird fans just have to trust her. She said she's bringing in a lot of overbelief into this program because it's a program that has been down, currently in the worst four-year stretch in program history. And so you just gotta trust the process. That's all you know. <laughs> taking one out of the uh, Illinois State men's basketball notebooks, but yeah, that's that's all you gotta do right now is trust the process. And and and, and she's she's very confident, very excited to be here. So they just have to believe in her and know that what she's doing is going to be the best thing for the program. And she's won everywhere she's gone. So that's the other reason why they just need to really believe in her, trust her, give her the keys. And just let it ride. We will have all updates from women's basketball and Coach Gillespie's whatever move she decides to make within this coming week. We will have all updates with that. But uh, for now, let's actually plug in your guys' Twitters to get you some followers for this upcoming vedette year. Nate? Sure, I'm at uh, at NateHead51. 
And I am at Mike Mara Ilstew. And I think everyone knows where I'm at, at JCT Sports. <laughs> Don't forget to follow the vedette at the underscore vedette on Twitter. Be sure to pick up a copy of tomorrow's vedette for tons of baseball, softball, and basketball news, as we just discussed. But for now, this has been another edition of the Vedette Redbird Report podcast. Thank you for tuning in.